Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, we'll cover the news and planets, take a look at the stars of Libra, and then look to the skies above for Boötes the Herdsman. Located between Virgo and Scorpius, Libra is not exactly the brightest constellation in the zodiac. It isn't the largest either, and it's not known for its deep sky objects. In fact, it's fair to say you can summarize the constellation in a single word, bland. That being said, there are a couple of easy targets if you want to cross the constellation off your zodiac observing bucket list. Let's start with the constellation's brightest star, which in this case is Beta. It has an Arabic name I can't pronounce and won't embarrass myself by trying, but it translates into the Northern Claw. This refers back to ancient Greece, when the constellation of Libra didn't exist as it does now, but was seen as being part of Scorpius instead. At magnitude 2.6, this is hardly a shining beacon of light in the night, but it may not have always been this way. According to some reports, circa the 2nd century BC, Beta rivaled Antares in brightness. Clearly that's no longer the case, so what happened? Did Antares brighten, or did Beta fade? No one knows for sure. Nowadays, Beta is interesting for a completely different reason. It's said to be one of the few stars, perhaps the only star, that can appear green to the naked eye. Personally, I've not seen it myself, but it's been documented enough times to make it a thing. The other easy target in Libra is Alpha Libri. This also has an Arabic name I can't pronounce, and whereas Beta's name means Northern Claw, Alpha's means Southern Claw. Look carefully, and if you have excellent eyesight and steady skies, you might notice a tiny star beside it. This is one of only a handful of stars that can appear double to the naked eye. If, however, like most of us, you are unable to see both stars, have a look with binoculars or a telescope with a low-powered eyepiece. You will see a pair of white stars, with the primary star being about three times brighter than its companion. Both these targets are easy enough for anyone to spot, once you've found the constellation itself. Incidentally, I've been meaning to put together some downloadable star charts but I just haven't got around to it yet. After more than a decade of work and much anticipation, the OSIRIS-REx mission will swipe a sample from the asteroid Bennu's rocky surface on October 20th from the Nightingale sample site. The mission team successfully completed the first rehearsal last month and now NASA has approved the second rehearsal date of August 11th and the touch and go or tag sample collection event in October. The original target date for sample collection was planned for late August, but the new October 20th date will allow the team more time to prepare in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Astronomers have captured an image of a super rare type of galaxy, described as a cosmic ring of fire, as it existed 11 billion years ago. The galaxy, which has roughly the mass of the Milky Way, is circular with a hole in the middle, rather like a titanic donut. Its discovery is set to shake up theories about the earliest formation of galactic structures and how they evolve. The galaxy is 11 billion light years from the solar system. The hole at its center is truly massive, with a diameter 2 billion times longer than the distance between the Earth and the Sun. To put it another way, it is 3 million times bigger than the diameter of the supermassive black hole in the galaxy of Messier 87, which, in 2019, became the first ever to be directly imaged. The formation of the Sun, the solar system and the subsequent emergence of life on Earth may be a consequence of a galaxy collision between our own galaxy, the Milky Way, 
and a smaller galaxy called Sagittarius, discovered in the 1990s to be orbiting our galactic home. Astronomers have known that Sagittarius repeatedly smashes through the Milky Way's disk, as its orbit around the galaxy's core tightens as a result of gra gravitational forces. Previous studies suggest that Sagittarius, the so-called dwarf galaxy, had had a profound effect on how stars move in the Milky Way. Some even claim that the 10,000 times more massive Milky Way's trademark spiral structure might be a result of the at least three known crashes with Sagittarius over the last 6 billion years. What is the origin of the asteroids Bennu and Rugu and of their spinning top shape? Numerical simulations of large asteroid disruptions, such as those that take place in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, show that during such events, fragments are ejected and then reaccumulate forming aggregates, some of which have a spinning top shape. The simulations also show that Bennu and Rugu may have formed from the disruption of the same parent asteroid even though their levels of hydration are different. The existence of a planet the size of Earth around the closest star in the solar system, Proxima Centauri, has been confirmed. The results reveal that the planet in question, Proxima b, has a mass 1.17 Earth masses and is located in the habitable zone of its star, which it orbits in 11.2 days. Lastly, the American Astronomical Society has its 236th annual meeting from the 1st of June to June 3rd. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, this year's event will be held virtually. With Venus gone from the evening sky, and Mars, Jupiter and Saturn at their best in the morning hours, you might be forgiven for thinking there isn't much to see after sunset. However, it's rare for the evening or morning sky to be totally devoid of planets, and the first 10 days of June are no exception. Mercury is at greatest eastern elongation from the Sun on the 4th, meaning that it's currently at its best in the evening sky. It won't set until nearly two hours after the sun, quite impressive for Mercury, and you can catch it in the twilight about 15 minutes after the sun goes down. That's the good news. The bad news is that there are no other major planets nearby, and with the moon nearly full, it's quite some way from the tiny planet. That being said, it'll appear over the west northwestern horizon. It'll be about 15 degrees above the horizon at around 20 minutes after sunset. Look for a faint pinkish white star. If you have no luck, wait until the twin stars of Castor and Pollux merge into the twilight, about 30 minutes after the sunset. Mercury will appear directly below Castor. If you're looking for an easier target, both Jupiter and Saturn rise a little before midnight and will be visible throughout the hours before the dawn. The waning gibbous moon appears to the right of the pair on the morning of the 8th and then to the left of the planets the following day. Mars is rapidly catching up to Neptune, with the two planets being at their closest on the 12th. They both rise at about 2am, giving you ample opportunity to make your observations before the sun comes up. Mars continues to brighten and has now edged past magnitude zero. Telescopically, it's also improving, with its apparent diameter increasing from 9 to 10 arc seconds during the first 10 days of the month. Uranus rises close to 4am at about the time the skies begin to brighten, so this is probably not the best time to attempt any serious observations. Lastly, the moon starts the month as a waxing gibbous and turns full on the 5th. There's a penumbral lunar eclipse for observers in Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe and Eastern South America. It'll begin at 1747 Universal Time and be at its maximum at 1925 Universal Time. It'll then end about an hour and three quarters later. 
It's predicted the moon's light will be dimmed by about 56%, so if it's visible from your location, be sure to take a look and see if you notice a difference. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about how you can find two bright stars, Arcturus and Spica, by following the curved tail of Ursa Major, the Great Bear. Arcturus is the brightest star in the constellation of Boötes, the Herdsman. It's a relatively large constellation, ranked 13 in size out of all of the 88 constellations, and it looks like a kite flying high in the night skies above our heads. It's best seen at around 11pm at the beginning of the month. The constellation is said to represent a herdsman, and its story dates back to the Babylonians, who identified it with their god Enlil. Besides being their chief deity, he was also the patron of farmers, which perhaps goes a little way to explain his depiction of a herdsman. What he's herding is something of a mystery. Greeks had no clear myths associated with it, but there's one story that seems to have a strong link to the constellation. According to this story, he was Philomenus, the son of Demeter, the goddess of agriculture. For the sake of brevity, and to make my life a little easier, we'll call him Phil. So Phil had a twin brother, Plutus, who was not short of a penny or two. Unfortunately, Pluto wouldn't share his wealth, and so Phil went, went into business for himself. He bought himself two oxen, invented the plough, and then made a little money by ploughing fields and cultivating his crops. This obviously went over well with his mother, who placed him among the stars, with the seven bright stars of Ursa Major representing his plough. The constellation's name was first used by Homer in his Odyssey, and is derived from the Greek for ox driver. Another legend forms a different link to the neighbouring Ursa Major. In this story, nymph Callisto bore Zeus a son and named him Arcus. Zeus's wife Hera found out about his infidelity and out of anger turned Callisto into a bear. One day Callisto's son Arcus was out hunting in the woods when he came across the bear. He was just about to kill the beastie when his father Zeus intervened. He instantly transformed Arcus into a bear too and grabbed both bears by the tails and threw them into the heavens. Mama Bear became the constellation Ursa Major, the Great Bear, while Arcus became Ursa Minor, the Little Bear. This also helps to explain why both starry bears have unnaturally long tails. Link to Boötes comes in the form of its brightest star, Arcturus, with the star's name being Greek for Guardian of the Bear. We talked about Arcturus a few episodes ago, and while it would be easy for me to simply copy and paste what I wrote and read it again, I don't plagiarise my own work. Besides which, you probably don't want to hear it again, and there are pl plenty of other stars in the constellation to talk about. Incidentally, Boötes is a little unusual in that it contains no bright deep sky objects to, to speak of. There is NGC 5466, a magnitude 9 globular cluster that's detectable in small scopes, but really needs a scope of at least 10 inches to make it worth your while. There's also a bunch of faint galaxies, but none of them really compare to those found in the star fields of Virgo or Coma Berenices. Which leaves us with the stars themselves. Boötes is known for its multiple stars, with several within reach of binoculars. Let's start with Delta, the star that marks the northeastern corner of the kite. Sharp-eyed binocular observers might see Delta as a bright golden star with a much fainter bluish star about 104 arc seconds away. Unfortunately, the difference in brightness makes the fainter star difficult to see, but any telescope with a low-powered eyepiece, just 25 times will do the trick, will more easily show them both. Just a little to the north is Mu, a much easier target. Almost any binoculars will show a wide pair of stars, while a small scope will split the brighter star into a pair of white stars. 
look a little to the north again and you'll come to Nu1 and Nu2, a gold and blue duo that's been compared to Albireo in Cygnus. If you've got a telescope, Xi, spelt X-I, is a fine double within range of small scopes, but you'll need a magnification of about 100 times to do it. The primary appears creamy pale gold to me, and is quite a bit brighter than the secondary. Keep your eye on the fainter star, I've seen it as rosy, but others have described it as coppery red or even reddish violet. Lastly, there's Epsilon, also known as Izar, but this one can be tricky, as it's a close pair of only 3 arc seconds between them. I've tried with both a 4 and a 5 inch reflector and not had any luck, but a larger scope might be up to the job. The primary has been described as golden orange, while the secondary is blue green. You might have to wait for steady skies and crank the magnification up to about 150 times to split this one. Boötes is often overlooked in favour of neighbouring constellations, especially by deep sky observers, but that's not to say there's nothing to see here. If you're one of those observers, take a break from those faint fuzzies and cast your eyes towards some easy multiple stars instead. Here's this episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quizbook, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format. So here it is. Who or what are craters on Mars smaller than 60 kilometers named for? Is it A. Capital cities of the world? B deceased world leaders, C, science fiction writers, or D, towns with less than 100,000 people. As always, I'll give you the answer in a few moments. The answer to the trivia question is D, towns with less than 100,000 people. This is an odd choice, to say the least, since almost everything else in the solar system is named for people, whether they were real or imaginary. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. If you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. And don't forget to come join the Stars and Stuff Facebook group at tinyurl.com forward slash SNS Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.